I want you to stand to your feet. We honor the reading of God's Word in this house. I want you to take and open your Bible to the book of James. We are in the book of James. Now, I got to ask, has anybody, has anybody, are you taking on the task trying to memorize the book of James? Is anybody okay? A few of you are. Wow. You can do it. You can do it. You can memorize scripture. If you don't believe me, go back two Thursday nights ago. We saw young people quoting entire chapters. I'm sure that all of that, all of that combined was probably about what the book of James was. And I'm, I mean, you're talking about 10-year-olds who had this stuff. Mem- you can memorize some scripture, okay? James chapter 1. I need to get there. I'm telling you guys, I'm hollering at you. Get, get in your Bibles, and I need to open mine. James chapter 1. Uh, so, we come to an interesting passage. I've been going verse by verse through this so far. And this week we're actually beginning at verse 9. However, if you read verse 9 on its own, it won't make a lot of sense to you. So we actually are, we're going to go back and we're going to start at the beginning. We're going to read through verse 12. So from verse 1, James chapter 1, are you there? All right, this is what it says. Greetings to the 12 tribes. James a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. Look at his welcome here now. My brethren, count it all joy. Everyone say joy. Count it all joy. What? When you fall into various trials. Well, that got heavy real fast, didn't it? Now, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, Let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If you lack wisdom, this is an example, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Let him ask in faith and with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let that man suppose he will receive, let not that man, I'm sorry, suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded, unstable in all his ways. Verse 9, let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. Let the rich in his humiliation. As a flower of the field, he will pass away. No sooner is the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls. Its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man will fade away in his pursuits. Verse 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Wow. Let's pray and let's ask the Lord to speak to us through his word today. Mighty God, I present this word before you today. I ask, Lord, that you administer to each and every one of us, even the same way that you've spoken to me over the last weeks in this text. I pray that you would speak to each and every heart within the sound of my voice. Lord, I pray that even right now you would release an anointing. You would pour out an anointing. Church, would you help me pray? Pray that the Lord speak to you. Pray for an anointing right now. Lord, I ask that you would anoint every person within the sound of my voice. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart that perceives what you are speaking to us today. I bind the works of the enemy 
He who would seek to distract, to distort, to confuse, or uproot your word as it comes forward. Lord, I ask for liberty in receiving your word today. Speak to our hearts and change our lives in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. And everybody say, amen, amen. You may be seated. I am deeply enjoying the book of James. It's an interesting study you can do. I don't know why I'm, this isn't in my notes. But uh, sometime, take the Sermon on the Mount and lay it over the book of James. It's fascinating the topics that are talked about and worked through almost line up verbatim. Uh, different audiences they were writing to. Jesus was ministering to a particular group. James was ministering to another. But it's very fascinating to see how these things line up. This is a, a great encouragement for each and every one of us. And that's why we're working through the book of James. I think it will encourage us. And like I said, I, I felt like we needed to review. Because if we just pick up in those weird verses where, okay, if you're lowly, if you're poor, glory when you're exalted. If you are wealthy, glory when you are humbled. What in the world is that even talking about? Uh, I don't think it's saying that you got to be poor if you want to be blessed. Or if you're wealthy, rejoice when you lose all your money. That's not the point of that text. So what is it talking about? There's one theme that runs through this entire section of Scripture, and it's what we've been dealing with the last number of weeks, what we would call trials. Everyone say trials. Uh, another way you could say is trouble. In fact, I, I, I chose to entitle this message from trouble to triumph. From trouble to triumph. How many of you have ever experienced a season of trouble? I think all of us have, right? Uh, every single one of us have experienced this in different ways and measures, and it should not surprise us when it happens. In fact, Jesus said in John 16, 33, pay attention to what Jesus says here. He says, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation or you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So, so think about what Jesus is saying here. Listen, you're in the world. You're going to have trouble. You're living life in a fallen world amongst a sinful people in a body that will age and decay. You're going to have trouble problems from time to time. But Jesus said, I'm telling you this so you may have peace in me. You have to stay in Jesus. You have to continue to look to him. Don't think it's weird or you are backslidden or God doesn't love you when you experience trouble. It's part of life, friend. Tell your neighbor, trouble is normal. Tell them you're not a heathen, unless you are, and then you need to repent. But I just want you to know, trouble doesn't come or leave because, uh, you know, you've earned God's favor in some way, shape, or We all have tests and trial. But how many of you would love to say, at the end of your trouble, 
I'm victorious. I have triumphed. I have overcome. I've learned some stuff. I've grown. I've got some experience. I've got a greater anointing on my life because I've, I've been through some stuff. We're going we're gonna to be victorious. And that's what the theme of this entire thing. So uh, some of this will be review if you've been with us the last number of weeks. Uh, but I, I think uh, we'll all get something out of this. Even for me, it's only two weeks away. Uh, it was a great reminder for me. So four keys, four keys for moving from trouble to triumph. Four keys for moving from trouble to triumph. Which, by the way, let me just say, even James ends with triumph. You'll notice we read the verse a moment ago. Blessed is the man who endures temptation or trials. When he has been approved, he will receive a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Do you know what that's talking about? Anybody in this day and age would have known, like today, we give medals at the Olympics Perhaps you get a trophy for a different sporting event. But what they were dealing with in the Greek and the Roman culture was a victor in a boxing match or a victor in a race. They would come and they would stand on a platform. You guys, we still do this today. You'll see the, you know, the third place, second place, first place. Uh, in the Roman culture, that was actually called the bima. The bima. They would come and they would stand. You did Good, you got third place. And they would place upon their head a wreath of flowers, uh, uh, you know, similar to the hakule that we do in Hawaii. Second place, you did well. And they would place upon them a crown, a, a wreath. First place, they would step upon the highest platform of the bima, and they would receive a crown. Now, here's what's interesting. Oh, this is cool. In, you guys are listening, oh man. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and in chapter 5, it talks about how we will stand on the judgment seat of Christ. That is the Greek word bima. Talking about the very same idea, how we, guys, now this is a good thing, the judgment seat of Christ. This is for those who have been saved and it is award ceremony this is the moment where they say comma i want you to come and comma he'll go in front i don't know what this is going to look like if all the believers are going to be there I, I really don't know i mean we've got all eternity so maybe it is all individual but they're going to bring the people up and they're going to stand them upon the bema seat and the lord himself will give an account of the life that you lived the things that you accomplished, how did you serve? How did you give? When did you forgive and it wasn't easy? What were the trials that you endured and you came through victorious? What was the moment that you believed? Where did you go and preach the gospel? When did you lay hands on somebody? When did you hold your tongue when you felt like running your mouth? These are things that the Lord is taking account of and you and I will be rewarded. We will receive the victor's crown. I don't know about you, but that kind of stuff motivates me. That kind of stuff motivates me. I know, I know we're dealing with a day and an age and a culture where it's like, well, I don't need a prize. We don't believe in winners or losers. I say fooey on that. I want to win. 
We're keeping score. We played kickball the other day. Uh, we had the, the staff of Kings versus our Kings Christian Academy students. And, and I, I didn't butter these guys up like, listen, this is all for fun. No, I'm going to smear you guys across that kickball court. Like, well, I'm gonna, we're going to beat you. They won, by the way, so I was humbled. But I tell you, we, oh, DJ says we let them. I don't know about that. So, um, in all honesty, they won. And guess what? They're winners. We're losers. We, we were the losers that day. There are winners and there are losers. There are people. First Corinthians 3. This is an, I, I, need to, I need to be careful because none of this is in my notes. I get excited about this topic, though. 1 Corinthians talks about those who make it into heaven, yet they suffer loss. Why? Because the things that they live for have no eternal significance. But it talks about those who live for things of eternal significance. When they pass through the fires of judgment, they remain. And you receive a reward in heaven. I always tell my kids, you better live in such a way that you are not mowing the lawn of my mansion in heaven. There will be rulers in the kingdom of heaven, and there will be servants in the kingdom of heaven. We will not all come in on equal ground. And I, it's important for us to hear this because some of us are going to have a rude awakening when you get into heaven, and I thought we were all going to be treated the same. No. Revelation talks about hold fast to that which you have, that no man take your crown. You understand, there could be an assignment upon my life, and I fail to walk it out. But somebody like Jess comes along, and she says, I'll do it. And she takes up an assignment that I was supposed to have. When I get to heaven, there's a chance that she may receive a crown that I was supposed to have. And for all eternity, I'm looking at Jess wearing a crown that I was supposed to have. Hold fast. What has God called you to do? What has the Lord asked you to do? There are those on judgment day who will receive a reward. There are others who will suffer loss. But we're going to do well. You're going to do well. Amen? I know this is freaky, but, man, you need to be aware of this because I don't want you to be surprised on judgment day when you get there and like, oh, we were being graded this whole time? Yeah. Yeah, you are. And there's a test at the end, and you're going to pass it. You're going to pass it. Amen? Amen. So let me get back to my notes. So how are we going to be triumphant in that day? Well, there's four things that you need to know all out of the book of James. Number one, joy. You better put a smile on, friend. Smile at your neighbor. Come on. You need to maintain a joyful attitude. This is key. I, I'm telling you, if anybody has ever competed, if anybody's ever like been in sports, anything like you know that your attitude plays a huge factor. I mean, if you go into that thing thinking, I'm going to die, I'm going to lose, we're not going to, yeah, you're probably right. But if you go in believing, we're going to be victorious. We're going to win this thing. I can do this. I can finish this race. I can, I can compete on this level. Friend, you're going to do well. So much is about our attitude. James 1, 2 says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. You're being tested now. You're being tried. 
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I shared a couple weeks ago the disciples whipped, rebuked by religious leaders. And the Bible says that they left rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. God, you love me enough to let me be tested for you? What an honor. We don't very often look at it that way, but we must have joy. In fact, Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12, I I quoted this in our healing time just a little bit earlier, but the Bible says that we are to look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Watch this. For the joy, everyone say joy, that was set before him, he despised the shame Uh, Oh, no, I skipped something. Uh, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. You want to talk about a season of trial, a season of suffering. There is none that will outweigh what Jesus endured in the time leading up to his crucifixion. But what was his attitude? Joy. He set his focus on joy. How was Jesus able to endure the cross? He kept his eyes on victory. What was it? The joy that was set before him. It was the redemption of all mankind. It was mission accomplished. Man is not going to be separated from me for all eternity. I believe he was looking down from the cross and he considered you and me who one day would come to saving faith in him. And it was his joy. I'm going to lay down my life so they can come to me. We, he says, look to Jesus. Look to set your eyes on the prize, friend. Understand that what you're going through, the trials that you may endure, go through it with joy. Set your eyes on the fact that, God, you're doing something in my life in this time and in this season. I'm going to come through with a greater anointing. I'm going to come through with a stronger marriage. I'm going to come through with a, with, with, with a level of breakthrough. I, I'm going to come through with stronger faith that I never would have had. If I had not endured. So go through with a joyful attitude. Number two, number two, if we're going to be moving from trouble to triumph, how are we going to have that victor's crown? Well, number two, you must endure. Everyone say endure. What was number one? Joy. Yeah, you guys are with me. Number two is endure. Um, You'll see this reflected in verse Four, oh no, yeah, verse four. Um, well, look at verse three. Knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. Let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It needs to have its work. That means, friend, you must endure what you are going through. You're in this process, you're being tested, you're being stretched. Don't stop. One of my spiritual fathers would always say, if you're going through hell, don't stop. So often, we're walking through, (laughs) fires of hell raging around us, and like, this is it, I give up, and you sit down right in the middle of that mess. Don't stop. Don't stop. You must endure. Keep 
on going. This is one of those things like, God, I, I understand that you're allowing me to go through something right now. And if you set your focus on Jesus and you endure, you say, just don't fight it, friend. Don't resist it. Let it have its work in you. If you need to be humbled, let it humble you. Let God cut the world out of you. Let it reveal to you what you really love. Oh, my. Let it teach you to value God's blessings. Let it develop strength in you so you can be more effective in the future. Remember going through two-a-day practices in football. Anybody ever experienced two-a-day practices? A few of you have. And I still remember, I, I think this was maybe my sophomore year when I really got serious about playing football. And I remember going into the two-a-day practices, and I mean, uh, my coaches were brutal. I don't think they treat students like this anymore. You're not getting water till you throw up. You know, stuff like this. You know, wear a trash bag. You're pulling too much weight. You know, it's, it's a horrible kind of stuff. But why? Why would I endure two-a-day practices? Because I remember the coach would come, and they would, they would instruct us, listen, if you can get through these practices, if you can finish these two-a-day practices, when we step onto the game field, he named the date. He says, by the time the opposing team is getting tired, you're going to have endurance. You're going to be able to run circles around them. And I remember we pushed ourselves, and I had that idea. I set my eyes on the prize. I wasn't happy about it, but I did it. And I remember come game day, I still remember exactly where we were in the exact, I mean, I remember a particular moment standing there on the field in the third quarter, realizing our opponent is slowing down and our team is still strong. I remember I wasn't tired in the third quarter and then moving into the fourth. We destroyed that first team. We didn't do so well the other games. Other teams got caught up. They probably had similar coaches. But I, I was willing to endure because I knew it was producing something in me. Friend, how do you look at the trials that come into your life? The testing of your faith. You fill in the blank. Well, I mean, is it a financial thing? Is it a health scare? Are you going through relational things? Are you at odds with your boss? Uh, you know, what is it? We all have moments where our faith is tested. But if you understand, God, you trust me enough to allow me to go through this process. What are you producing in me? And if you understand God is producing something in you, you're going to endure with joy. Did you know that a diamond, you can tell a false diamond very simply. I mean, a, a trained jeweler will be able to look at a diamond and tell you, you know, the kind and quality it is. But for an untrained eye like myself and most of us probably, if you take a stone and you immerse it in water, something happens. Uh, an authentic diamond, when it is immersed in water, will still radiate and reflect, refract light uh, very effectively. 
But a false gem, a false stone, when it's immersed in water, will immediately become dull. It's one of the things for an untrained. So, so ladies, if your guy proposes to you and you just wonder, how much does he love me? Uh, you just take out your water glass right there. You just dip that thing in the water and you see. You'll tell immediately the kind and quality that it is. What is that? That's, that's testing. Our faith is the very same way. You may think, I have great faith, but you don't know the strength of your faith until it's tested. And this is why I'm sure you've had moments where you've come through a season of difficulty and you look back and you say, I don't know how I made it through, but we made it. God, you were faithful. My faith was stronger than I actually thought it was. Maybe we've had moments where we failed in the test. Boy, I lost my temper on that occasion. Boy, I lost my faith. I gave in to something here. <sighs> my faith needs to be strengthened. You guys trekking with me. What is God producing in us? Now, uh, most of this is still review. Number three, I preached on this last week, so I won't hang here long. Number three is we must stay in faith. Everyone say faith. So what was one? Joy. Everyone say joy. What was number two? Endure. You must endure. Number three is faith. Yeah, we need to stay in faith. We read this in, in verse 5. Verse 5 of James says, uh, um, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. He gives to all liberally and without reproach. He doesn't rebuke you, and it will be given. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. You doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded, unstable in all his ways. We ended with the word of Jesus when he said, If you ask anything in prayer, believing, you will receive it. And one of the keys that I shared about is not just having faith. Well, I have more faith than I do doubt. No, it's not a measuring game. Do you have enduring faith? Do you continue to believe when, hey, I prayed in the, I prayed in the altars on Sunday after that great faith message, but then Sunday afternoon hits, you have a fight with your spouse, your body hurts on Monday. Do you stay in faith when the trial remains. This is the question. This is what it is to, to, to have our faith tested. And it reveals the quality of our faith. So it's interesting to, to talk to families, even this year. I mean, just we we're talking with a, with a family that, I mean, financially, it's very difficult for them. We had the joy of being able to help them in a certain realm financially. But as my wife and I sat and talked, we had this moment where it's like, should we bail them out? And we decided no. We'll help them in areas that we can't. But how many of you can look back on maybe your early married days and the moments that you had challenges in your finances? Somebody didn't bail you out, but you learned something, didn't you? Today, the reason that you run an effective business, today, the reason you can pay and help your kids get through college is because you learn some hard lessons along the way. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And, and so there's these moments where it's like, they're being tested. 
and they're going to make it. You know, and we're there for them. We encourage them. And, again, we'll we help them out, man. We'll just, yeah, I just want to bless you in this. But, uh, no, I'm not, I'm not going to pay your rent. You're going to learn something here. And God's producing something. And guess what? Next pay period, you're going to be a little wiser. You'll be a little stronger. There's going to be a sense of agreement. You guys checking with me on this? Let's go into the last one. And this is, this is kind of new territory for us. Verse, uh, uh, verse 9. So we're going to be joyful. We are going to endure. We are going to stay in faith. And number four, oh, I don't know if you'll like this one or not. Humble. Humble. You must remain humble. Where does this come from? Verse 9 says, let the lowly, and it's actually comparing and contrasting wealthy or rich. So let the poor brother glory in his exaltation. Let the rich glory in his humiliation, because as the flower of the field, he, the rich brother, will pass away. No sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers in the grass, its flower falls, its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. So let the poor or the lowly man glory in his exhortation. Let the wealthy man glory in his humiliation or being brought low. Now, I want to help you guys here. Again, this is not a, a condemnation of wealth. And it's not an elevation of poverty, but there is a similar theme, especially when you consider, consider the context of the Scripture here, whether you're wealthy and going through a trial, or whether you're poor and going through a trial, you have reason to glory. That's what this is all about. You have a reason to glory. And that word glory, I actually like that. Let the lowly man glory. It says, uh, let him boast. It's a, it's a sense of genuine pride. I'm not talking about ungodly pride, but this is a, a moment where it's like, I'm proud of what I've gone through. I'm proud of what I have. And this is what I want you to consider. Maybe you're here, and I don't know what category you consider yourself to be in. I'm wealthy. I'm poor. I'd imagine if James himself were walking through this con congregation, looking at our lives, the homes that we live in, the vehicles that we drive, he's probably saying all of us are rich. None of you have gone hungry. None of you are homeless, and if you are, talk to us. We can help you out there. We're blessed, family. We're blessed. We're blessed. Tell your neighbor, I'm blessed. We're all blessed. But maybe, maybe you consider yourself, well, I'm definitely not rich. I'm definitely not wealthy. Maybe you do consider yourself. Here's what I want you to consider. Romans chapter 8 and verse 16. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit, we are children of God. And if we are children, this is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. If we are children, we are heirs. Did you know you have an inheritance? As a son or daughter of the Most High God, you have an inheritance. You are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Think about this. There's nothing that Jesus had or Jesus has. There's nothing that Jesus operated in in the earth that you don't have access to as well. 
cogitate on that one. Do you know what cogitate? Think about that one for a minute. Take that verse and just let it stew in your heart for a little bit. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If Now watch this. If we, what does it say? Suffer with him. We may be glorified together. You read the Bible enough, you're going to begin to see this theme that I think is very interesting. How often God's glory is connected with suffering. How often God's glory is connected with trials. If I suffer with you, I'll be glorified with you. Well, how does that work? There was a moment where the Apostle Paul was praying in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and he's sharing with the church what was going on. The Bible says that he had a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. There was a demonic assignment against Paul. Now, people disagree. Was it physical? Was it spiritual? Was it emotional? I'm not here to give a case for that. I have an opinion, which I can share on another time. But one of the things that I do see, the Apostle Paul prayed. You guys know this story? Messenger of Satan, the devil's hanging on his back, and he says, God, take this away from me. And God says three times, no, I'm not taking the trial from you. I'm not taking the thorn away from you. My grace is enough for you. I want you to think about this. And then the apostle Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 12, 10, I take pleasure in infirmities, joy. I take pleasure in infirmities. When people reproach me in needs and persecutions, distresses for Jesus' sake. Because when I am weak, I am strong. I have become a fool for boasting. Boasting, there's the bragging rights there. It's the same message that James is preaching to us. I have become a fool in boasting. You have compelled me. I ought to have been commended by you, for in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Oh my goodness. You realize the apostle Paul, he realizes, God, your strength is made perfect in my weakness. God, you are producing glory in me through this trial. Oh my goodness. You want to talk about humility. Paul says he takes pleasure in these things that humble him. Do you look at, do you look at your suffering, your persecutions like that? What a joy. Honey, our bank account's empty. Praise God. Man, that twinge in my knees come back. Praise God. You know what the Apostle Paul, maybe I will tell you what I think about 2 Corinthians. This is interesting. Read the previous chapter. He goes through talking about all the things that he's endured. He'd been shipwrecked. He'd spent nights on the ocean, floating on a board. Imagine sharks around you. He'd gone through moments where he hadn't eaten. He'd gone through 
multiple times where he was whipped. But he says, he says at the end of this passage, do you know what the greatest burden on my life is? The people who don't know God. People are the greatest burden. People weigh upon me so heavily. He was burdened for souls. I believe the enemy was harassing him over the fact that you can't reach everyone, Paul. And he says, God, would you take this burden? God says, no. That's my opinion. I'd love to have a Bible conversation with you if you feel differently about it. But let me ask you, do you ever feel that burden for souls? Do you ever look around, and it may not be anything to do with your finances or health, but do you ever look around at people are so lost? People are so without hope. People are in desperate need of Jesus, and they don't even know it. They hate God, and they don't even realize he's the answer for everything they're looking for. Does that ever weigh upon you? Because it should. It should, friend. It should be a burden that every one of us carries. Now, I said that the last point is being humble. And this is how we're going to endure. You understand, if you are lacking in this life, you have reason to glory. Because there are treasures being stored in heaven on your behalf. You have a reward in heaven that is waiting for you. You have, 1 Peter 1.4 says, you have an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. One of the most powerful prophetic times I ever received was from an individual that I actually thought was homeless when I first met them. And they begin to open their mouth and begin to share what the Lord had put in their heart. And I realize, I mean, I, my wife and I walked away thinking, was that an angel? Little in this life that says they were glorious. They were exalted. No, the most humble of appearances that you can imagine. But the glory of God on the inside of them. They have bragging rights. They can glory in the Lord. Now, for the wealthy, and I got a minute here, and we're going to move into a time of prayer. In fact, worship team, would you come? Uh, I'm coming to a close here. For those who are on the other side, maybe you say, I'm not poor, and I do not lack. What Paul says is when you've, or what James says rather, is when you've gone through trials and you endure. Doesn't mean that you've lost your wealth, but it means that God is working in you. Uh, essentially, think about this. I used to be a real big, like, Apple fanboy, okay? Uh, Steve Jobs, I used to watch all of the new stuff that was coming out. Oh, the new iPhone, the new iPad. I knew what all of it was. I knew the dates when the presentations were coming. I used to watch all of that. I had to have the newest thing. Uh, I'm not so much that way anymore. They haven't done anything spectacular for a long time anyway. But I'm watching, and I never forget when I saw in the news 
that Steve Jobs at the time, the wealthiest man on the planet, had cancer. The wealthiest man in the world hit in his physical health. He sought various forms of treatment, and I thought, like, I'm, I'm sometimes a conspiracy theory guy. Like, I'm convinced there's a cure for cancer. The government suppressed it, you know, whatever. That's a different message. And I thought, man, if there's anybody who's going to get that cure for cancer, you know, you just take the pill and it's gone, it's going to be that guy. But then Steve Jobs died. Steve Jobs wasn't a Christian. He was a professing Buddhist, actually, at the time that he died. That's a frightening place to be, friend. But the thing that I realize is, listen, all the wealth in the world, when you go through a trial, none of that matters. And this is, you want to know what the glory of the wealthy, and again, you can take multiple different categories. I'm strong in my body until you're not. My marriage is great until it's not. I'm right with Jesus until you're struggling. Whatever the area of strength is in your life, it could be your finances like the example that's given here. But when a moment of trial, testing comes into your life, it brings all of us to the same ground. I'm wealthy. I'm poor. And I need Jesus. I'm strong. I'm weak. I need Jesus. This is where he says we glory in our humiliation. Lord, thank you for revealing to me that I still need you. I need you. If we're going to move from trouble to triumph, we must have a joyful attitude. You must endure. Don't give up. Don't stop. Keep on going. God's producing. He's building something in you. You must stay in faith, enduring faith. And last of all, we must remain humble. Acknowledge your need for Jesus. I want you to stand all across this room. remember there was a time in my wife and I's life where we were just reflecting on this this last year. We had a family who's anonymous and even those who were receiving are anonymous, but we had a family who gave thousands of dollars just to be a blessing to other families in the church. They didn't want to deliver the cards. They didn't want to, they didn't really want to be any part of it. And I remember as we were going through, and my wife and I uh, delivered a number of those. And it was, it was such a humbling thing to give these families in need. Single parents, widows orphan children, whatever it was. There were different situations we gave to. And as we were driving away from one of those, 
person was just weeping, crying. It's like, what in the world is this? It is life-transforming kind of stuff. My wife, I remember, we were, we were driving out away from that, and she says, Jake, do you remember when Rebecca gave us this gift? We were in a place, and I, I shared the story a couple months ago, where we had $20 for groceries at that time. We'd pay all of our bills, and we literally had $20 for groceries. And we were giving another $20 on top of our tithe. We're trying to give our way out of all this. Moments we had health needs, and we'd go literally where homeless people would go to get their medication. That's where we were at that time. And in that moment, there was a lady named Rebecca Isaac. She still watches online all the time. Maybe she's watching now. Came up to my wife with a $20 bill and hands it to her and says, this is for you. This isn't for your kids. This isn't for groceries. This isn't for bills. Leah, this is for you. Get you a new dress. Go, get, go have a meal. This is for you. And I remember $20. But it transformed my wife to realize that it doesn't have to be thousands of dollars that you give to somebody. It can be a small gift. And that one moment of obedience can transform the giver's life and the receiver's life. Those moments are so important, friend. Earlier this year, we had a, a huge blessing that came our way thousands of dollars. And you know what my wife and I did with that money? We gave it away. <laughs> so it's the single largest financial gift that my wife and I have ever received, and we gave it away. We tithed on it, and then we blessed families that we knew had needs in their life. Gave almost all of it away. Why? Humility. Friend, I don't know where you are today, and I don't know where you're coming from. We must keep that lowly heart that says, God, everything that I have is because of you. The life that I live, every dollar you flow into my life, the breath in my lungs, the people in my life, my family, my job, all of it, Lord my church family, all of it, my eternal salvation, all of it, Lord, is because of you. It's you. It's you. That's how we're going to move into victory, friend. So when we stay in that posture, I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord.